What's good, comic fam? Hit that like, slap the subscribe button. This next show is the first interview that I did with Todd McFarlane, creator of Venom and Spawn and McFarlane Toys. We chat about so much stuff. Key Comics, Error Prince, Spidey 300, The Trifecta, and you gotta check it out because he's coming back. Next week's podcast features the return of Todd McFarlane, where we're gonna continue the conversation you're about to watch. And if you prefer to listen to this interview, it's gonna be on SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, and iTunes next week. I wanna remind you, you have one more day to join the October Mystery Mail Call. One per box, every member is getting. Donny Kate's goodness, we have Thor 18, a Throg Ryan Stegman cover. Hit the link in the description or go to comictom101.com to join the community and support what we do. Without further ado, welcome Todd McFarlane to the show. Jose, maybe I should turn it so we could be here. So it'd be a oh, fireside. Oh, look at that. Oh, I like fireside, that. A fireside chat. <laughs> I'm a fireside conversation with Todd McFarlane. We're chatting we expensive paper. Todd, we're in LCS out here in Washington. And over this last year, it's been one of the most difficult times since we've been a shop. We've been open for over five years. Yep. And throughout this difficult time, you know, publishers did a lot of things, but image stood above the rest. I wanted to personally thank you between the extra comics, the, the better shipping, the secret variants, the comics coming from other realities and dimensions being created. You helped our store. You helped pay our bills during a difficult time. I just want to know, what pushed you to go in that direction when you didn't have to? I would say we actually, we did have to. Um, the survival of any industry is only as good as the whole, right? I mean, you know, you, you, you've done these sort of interviews and had plenty of conversations. Sometimes companies that put out books think that they're the most important. Other times the retailers get high on their horse. They think they are. And then, and then there's times where, you know, the, the fans think that their opinion sort of should trump all. The reality is, from my perspective, is that we're all bonded together. We actually all need each other. It doesn't make any sense in a, in, a, in a difficult time to start getting greedy and just grabbing what's yours. Because if 20, 30, 40% of the stores start to fail, that's not good for anybody. And so if, if helping out basically means you take a few extra pennies home, less, well, you take a few, you know, less pennies, excuse me, home, and it, it helps other people, then that's what you, you just do it, right? You just do it. I mean, we're a community. And I, I think comic books is a fairly unique group of people. Uh, you see it at the conventions. And so it was, uh, I, to me, it's actually the question is why, why, I, why didn't Marvel and DC step up more? I, I, I don't think we did anything extraordinary. I thought the big boys should have done more. Well, I appreciate you answering that, uh, um, especially considering you, you came out with even more titles. You know, we weren't expecting to see so much output, which made our customers happy and really made us just um, just diehard image fans more than we ever were. Um, well, you know, well, look, at one of the things I was saying out loud, Hollywood shut down, right? And because of Hollywood being shut down, we don't have to compete against that juggernaut, right? And that, that juggernaut, I mean, that's a billion dollar industry that from time to time makes comic books look, you know, sort of feeble. So if they're going to go dark for a while, then for me, 
I, 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 my attitude is, well, let's take it while the getting's good, right? They're, they've left the table. It's, it's our time to shine. Uh, let's do as much as we can. So putting out new books uh, at, a, at a time that may now get more traction than if there's five, eight blockbuster movies out there and it might get lost in the shuffle of entertainment. I, uh, to me, it was is actually a, a good time to put out new books. You mentioned that collectors are an interesting breed. Yeah, I'm a collector myself. Um, I'm curious. Um, I know you like to collect. I've seen you show off oh, yeah. some some grails. What are yeah. some of the grails from the Todd McFarlane PC? Some that you you cherish, you'll never sell. Um, maybe some that you took a while to acquire or even hunt for. It usually for me is the stuff that, and you probably do the same. Lots of people do that might not actually have any meaning to anybody else but yourself. You know, Absolutely. like it's that one that you go, man, when I was 12, that was the first issue I ever had. Like, and even though it's dog-eared uh, and you, and it's only in a 25 cent bin, it's, it's more of like, oh my God, I have that book 15 years ago. I got to grab it again. There are certain books that every time I, I see them, I grab them. Any off the, off the dome, any that you can think of? Well, uh, one of them is, although it's starting to get expensive now. I used to grab it all the time. It was uh, an Avengers annual uh that uh, michael golden did um and, and the cover the cover had like four panels on it al milgram did the the cover the artwork in it is spectacular one of the best i've ever seen but um the first issue of spider-man i ever bought as a kid knowingly when i was 16 that sort of began my interest in comic was uh issue 167 when I see that one, I'll go, oh, my God, there's the first Spidey I bought or, or Doctor Strange 23. That was the first one. Avengers 158 and uh, Fantastic Four, like 161. Right. They were all in that that same era right there. Even Jack Kirby was coming out with a bi-monthly uh, Black Panther book. I mean, they're just goofy stuff. Tomb of Dracula is one of my all-time favorites. I actually just secured my first copy of Tomb of Dracula 1, and I'm so oh. excited. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm a big uh, you know, Bronze Age horror fan, um, but I digress, because I would love to take you back to, like, 1985. Coyote issue 11. Yet another new name to conjure with, Todd McFarlane on pencils. Two issues later on issue 13, uh, a shout-out. From the about the interior work done, you're on the cover for the first time. Although small, still counts. Um, yep. Can you, you know, the hustle, the grind up until that point must have been insane, and then totally changed at that moment. Can you walk me through that time of your life and what that was like? I was going to college at that time, so I was on a baseball scholarship. I was a senior at that point, working at a comic shop in Spokane, Washington. I was also doing my samples at night and sending them off. I finally get the first yes after you know years of, of rejection uh and and it was for again the book you're talking about steve Engelhart's uh, coyote which at that point was coming out from the epic line from marvel uh which was just sort of quasi half creator owned sort of weird hybrid and and i didn't wasn't even doing coyote it was like the backup in coyote so you had this you know obscure sort of line of books here's an obscure book and I don't even get to even do the obscure character. I have to do the backup. I mean, it, it is literally the equivalent to starting in the mail room. When you're trying to break in, it was, man, it was a good day. I, woo, I'm going to get to draw comic books. Interestingly, the first thing I drew was Coyote 12. Oh, okay. Uh, so I drew Coyote 12. I handed it in. It was the Scorpio Rose pages. And then they looked at it and they went, man, we really like this. And when I went to San Diego Comic-Con, 
the editor that um, Archie Goodwin said, hey, we're having a little bit of an issue with issue 11. Do you want to redraw it for us? I'm like, okay. The funny thing was that the, <laughs> the guy who drew it originally, I go, man, that's insulting, ended up, because uh, he penciled and inked it, ended up inking my 10 pages anyway. So his name was Art Nichols. And so I'm, I'm, I'm always, I was trying to figure out what that conversation was. Hey, Art, your pages, <laughs> we don't like them. We're throwing them away. Can you ink Todd redo your page? <laughs> and, and the art was always very gracious. I did 12, then I did 11. Chronologically, I know how it, when I was drawn, it just said to you, the collector, 11 is the first time you see the artwork, right? Also at that same time I was doing, I had, had grabbed the gig doing Infinity Incorporated. Over at DC. Because, you know, uh, the Coyote stuff uh, quickly went I you know, they canceled the book. So I ended up getting uh, the Infinity, but because Infinity was on a tighter deadline, there was the day where both a Coyote book and Infinity came out at the same time. I mean, they, they literally came out that same weekend. Uh, and I remember I was going, wow, I haven't been in comic books and now I got two on the same day, right? And it was a good day because Marvel and DC give you comps, right? They give you free books. So I, I, I think they give you like 20 or whatever. So I was living in uh, Cheney, Washington, just outside of Spokane. And I'd, I'd walk up and down the, the neighborhood. I didn't even know anybody. Uh, and I'd, I'd knock on the door and I'd go, hey, you don't know me. My name's Todd. Here's a free comic book, right? And they were like, yeah, okay, kid, whatever. But uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a good time. I love looking through those pages, um, especially considering some of your first work. It, it was pretty experimental and I'm curious to know how much of that was done with like the guidance of an editor and how much was of that was yours because you were doing injury to eye panels you were drawing stuff in mirrors Tom if you look at my early work on on Coyote and almost my entire run on uh, Infinity Inc there was a giant graphic element to it and part of it was you know I got a degree in graphic designing in college I thought I was going to be doing Michelin tire ads for the rest of my life, right? Sure. Which is cool. I was acutely aware at how weak my artistic skills were at that point. I quickly came to the realization I had two choices. One, I could just bear all that sort of mediocre work on paper and, and, and hope that eventually it got better. Or B which is the route I took, and sometimes it's a better route, you just baffle them with your bullshit. Uh, and so if I could design the pages in a clever way, you may not be paying attention to the anatomy quite as much uh, because the drawing was very weak. And if I had just done standard grid pages and mediocre, I don't think anybody would have paid attention. Instead, they, they, they sort of got on to man, look at the way he does the page layouts and look at the graphic design. And, you know, to the point that when I ended up going back to Marvel, they wagged the finger in my face going, stop doing that giant dice. Because I had one page in Infinity Inc. where it was a giant dice and I put panels in, in it. And they must have looked at that one page, uh, the giant dice style. But that was it. It was just while I was learning for the next couple of years, I just go, I got I to gotta do something flashy over here as this drawing level began to get just a little bit better through repetition. 
Amazing. That's what I think about when I go through those pages. I have a, a handful of high-grade copies, and I, I, I can kind of see it. I felt like you're grind up into this point, this poured out into the pages with a full pinup in your first in some of your first work. It, it's all good stuff. Since we're chatting about uh, collectibles and some of these like key moments that collectors enjoy to own, and I'm wanting to hear your thoughts about a subcategory of collectibles because it ties directly to Spawn that's emerged in the last, like, I would say seven months, which is oh, yeah. marketing ads, previews, catalogs, becoming <laughs> more collectible and more sought out after than even the comic books that they solicit. And I bring it back to previews 92 issue three, the catalog I was introduced to that's worth over $500 and is a, wow. a, a major Spawn collectible, but it's a catalog. What do you think about this phenomenon? It's just a, an extension of collecting, right? Because once you once you get the 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 big book, which spawn one, okay, fine, and you have that, you're you, you now have to start going either left or right of that book, right? Sure. So obviously the next one is two and three, and you go up. Um, but the other ones that I've seen from time to time, because I've I've signed a decent amount of shows, and people bring me this other book called Rust. Uh, and, and I, I don't know why, because there's some kind of ad, I don't know, I, but I, I see it. There's some, there's something in there that they seem to care about. Yeah. There's um, a handful of them that have like a marketing ad of spawn around that time. Right. And then there's even the, the Malibu suns that were out, right. Yeah. Those are, those are tough to come by a little bit, but yeah, I mean, I mean, collecting's cool. Right. And so it, even if you just do it for yourself, cause you want it, but if, <laughs> If now it's 500 bucks for a diamond preview book, shoot. Right, but since you mentioned Malibu Sun, I gotta take the time to ask. Another subcategory that has direct ties of Spawn that to this day is some of the most aggressively sought after collectibles is the unintended variant that that issue had. And I'm sure you've seen it. The back cover is green. It was like an error print. Is that something that has any story behind it? Was it just a one-off thing? You forgot about it or? We gotta be clear uh at times between uh, a variant and a mistake absolutely right so sometimes you just there are mistakes that are made human error and 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 along the line at the printing press right mm -hmm. so for instance if you look at spawn number one if you open up the inside front cover you're going to see depending on how many copies you have there's actually two versions of it there's one in which the orb you know the spawn orb mm -hmm. It's clean. And then there's one where there was a bunch of glitches, like, and it's blotchy, right? I, it, and so there's two of them. I wish I could say that one or the other was only like 5% of the run. Right. It's not true. Uh, we, we, they were printing so many books at that point. We saw some and went, whoa, 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 somebody clean. Like the glitchy ones were coming out first. Uh, we go, hey, stop it. You got you got blotches on it. I want to say it's about 55, 45, 60, 40. It's in that range of like one over the other. So it's not a dramatic difference between the two, but a lot of people even to this day don't know that if you have multiple copies of Spawn, you look on the inside, there may be a variation from a mistake at the printers because somebody didn't clean the roller heads. There's this like weird excitement that we collectors get with those types of situations but then when you think about the history it's probably a stressful time you're seeing this this work of art that you just put all these hours into and now there's a mistake going on and you're running to the printing press so as i always thought that well, was look at look at i i also do toys and, and absolutely and, you know, every now and then 
you'll get one and they pack it upside down, right? And right. You, and you go, they go, oh my God, I got this very, it's like, not a variant, but uh, it's a mistake. They shouldn't have packed it upside down, but it's kind of cool, right? I, I bet you there's only a couple of them because right. they shouldn't be packing them upside down. Can you find somebody else who finds it equally cool so you can sell it to them at any time? Possibly. I would love to chat about some some intentional variants. Um, in okay. 2019, I covered the road to 300 for months. It was a fantastic time. But aside from getting Spawn and Spidey collectors involved, which which you accomplished um, hands down and, and broke some amazing numbers for that year, I believe it was like next to this other comic that's sitting next to me, uh, Detective 1000, which like it was what number a, two, which was yeah. what a great book to be next to. It was the second biggest selling book of 2019. And and if you went and looked at the top 11, I wish I could say 10, but top 11 selling books of 2019, there was only one title that had two of them, and it was called Spawn, right? There you go. This is that thing that sometimes I, 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 I like to puff my chest out a little bit going, there was no Spider-Man in there. There was no Avenger in there. There was no Thor, let alone two. There was only one title that had two and it was called Spawn, right? And it's like, oh, by the way, there's three or four of us putting that book together and Marvel and DC that are owned by Disney and uh, Warner Brothers, they employed tens of thousands of people and you got like two or three of us beating you at your own game. Come on guys, pick up the slack, right? So sometimes bigger isn't doesn't necessarily mean better um, or vice versa the other way around. So we, we just went head to head and we ended up doing okay with it. Well, to my surprise, um, instead of just harnessing the this just the the legacy of that those three digits that I'll love to chat with you about in a moment, it was much more than that. This was a time where at our LCS we saw more individuals getting into spawn more than ever. And it I believe had to do more than those three issues, two ninety eight to three hundred. Um, can you expand on that? What made this successful? Because I feel like it started before that and even set up stuff later. I remember going to the retailer summit uh, in Vegas, which is where I sort of announced my plans for 300. Okay. And although the, the, the news for 300 was big and I knew it was going to work to me, that was, that was sort of almost a low hanging fruit, right? That's like opening up a big blockbuster movie. You know, you're going to get the numbers on opening weekend. The question is, what are you going to get the next week? And so what the, what the goal was, was to take this record that was going to be important to me and try and see if I could get anybody else to care. But once once I, I started formulating it, and, and I, I remember I was at the retailer, I go, guys, look, it. don't think of this as a one and done. Don't think of this as an anniversary book, and then you're in, you're out, and, you're, and it's done. Now, why? We can always do that. Every book that hits one of those milestones, we can do that and it becomes repetition. Let's see if we can't do something better than that. You've got plenty of people who either haven't read the book and or are lapsed readers. And part of it is like, ah, the number's so big, I can't get into it, whatever else. Here's the first thing I'm going to do. Issue 296 and 297 are basically a reader's digest of all the issues prior to that. So if you want to get somebody in on Spawn, all you have to do is say, here's 296, 297, you're caught up. You're now, you're now with the rest of the pack. Don't worry about the other issues. Uh, the other 295 you missed. Okay, so there's now two issues you can sell them. Then we've got sort of a prequel that sort of builds towards 300. So you get 298, 299. 
and 298, 299. I get to have a little bit of fun on the covers. So I get to remind people that it's like the same numbers as when I jumped on Amazing Spider-Man. Then you get, which we know is going to sell, the big boy, 300. And oh, by the way, all of this to me is just leading to the book that is way more important personally, which is 301, sort of the culmination that sets a record. So that's, that's six months instead of making it just, oh, buy issue 300 and get out, right? Lots of books do that. Detective 1000 did it, right? I don't know what 90, 999 or 1001 did, but it doesn't, I, I didn't hear much about it. And I wanted to basically sort of connect all of this and make this sort of a momentum play. And then if you look at some of the covers, especially the ones that uh, Jerome Pena did, I wanted to just sort of plant this visual seed that more characters are coming, right? And that will culminate now here on the back half of 2021 uh, with, with some of the stuff that basically got kickstarted, you know, in issue 300. So I, I don't know, it's, it, you put a plan, you never know what it, whether it's going to work or not. Uh, and and right now we're, you know, it, we had good success. We had the momentum. The goal was to say, hey, here's sales here. You hit your uh, anniversary book. Sales are going to go up. But when it comes down, can you make it so that it's a little bit higher? Can you can you essentially, like a stock in the stock market, can you can you raise the floor so that the floor is a little bit higher? And it worked in the last five, six months, we're averaging over 100,000 sales, which which from, from pre-300 is almost a 500% increase. Is it people buying multiple copies? I don't know, it's, but it's it's working. People seem to be happy. The retailer is okay. I mean, it, it's like, we're going. Like, you know what? Well, worry about the guys that aren't selling 100,000 behind me, right? So there you go. I'm, I'm, I'm doing okay. Well, you mentioned um, keeping the the sequence and keeping those numbers going. I feel like there's a lot of publishers who are in a grind of redoing a number one. I'm curious, <laughs> has there ever been a thought to, to do that? Um, I, no. I probably know the answer, but yeah. Um, no. And I'm also curious, is there a too many variants per issue yep. in your opinion? Um, yep. any, any commentary on those two things? Yeah. At times, I may be pushing my luck on some of them. Um, for sure, having 70 of them on Detective Comics 1000 seems like a lot to me. I, I don't know. I, I, I was just talking to somebody about this. If I was to ever go and do 70 covers, the only way I would do it is if it was the same cover, but I was just swapping out like you know, a store name on it. They've done it before where like maybe a hundred stores say, hey, we want to have our store name on your cover. Oh, like, and yeah. You go, okay, 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 I'm going to keep the image, but you know, the little logo at the bottom sure. now, the gravestone or whatever is going to have your store name or whatever, right? But for the most part, everybody's still seeing the same image over and over and over, right? Right. So, because look at part of it is, <laughs> if you're going to do 70 spawn covers by 70 artists, some of them are going to be awesome. And I'd rather not blow all those on one issue, right? I'd rather sure. spread those out over like in the course of a year because I got to sell more than just this one issue. And it's one of the reasons why, Tom, uh, the book, another thing I'm quite proud of, the book's $2.99, right? Just, Absolutely. I mean, when you look at the increase in comic books, basically since Spawn started, comic books were a buck when we came out at Image. We were buck ninety-five. So in almost 30 years, I've gone up $1 in 30 years. 
where the other guys have gone up a minimum of three dollars. I've gone up one, they've gone up three. So and oh by the way, that 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 three dollar hike, given that they were a dollar, that's three hundred percent. I was at two and I've gone to three, that's a fifty percent. They've gone up a minimum of three hundred percent while I've gone up fifty percent in the exact same time. Why? Because I can, because I can't, I'm not a public company. I don't have to maximize profit. I I make a good living. Could I've I've had people say, Todd, you could sell this for $3.99. I'm sure I could. I'm sure I could. Why? Why? So I make a few extra dollars. Uh, kids have gone through college. My house is paid for, and I've got a car, and I can put food on the table. What's the extra money going to do for me? Oh, I know what it will do for others. I'm taking a pen. I'm taking an extra dollar from fans who have supported me. Why would I? Why would I say thank you by raising the price to them? Right? I can't. I. I don't know. I. I. Most of the decisions I make, Tom. I remember starving Todd McFarlane when he was 16 years old. I didn't have a lot of cash, and, and I, I had to make it go as far as I could. And I. I haven't really lost that so it's like yeah i guess i can make more money why i i have a i have a theory tom don't drink from the spigot if you're not thirsty don't turn it on if you're not thirsty because at some point there's a thing called a rainy day and the world gets in the way and we're living in it and and you may actually need to find those extra dollars but if you've been basically trying to take money from your fans every day of your life for 20 years, and now you really need it, I don't know that they're going to be enthused to help you out, right? So I would rather say, I haven't taken advantage of you. I haven't done five number one spawns and restarted it. I, I'm not up to $4.99, a comic book, blah, 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 blah. And oh, by the way, if time comes where I need to do it, I think most people go, yeah, he was reasonable all those years. It's okay. We'll give him the benefit of the doubt. And then I'll have the loyalty for another 10 years, right? Greed's not a good thing. So, Absolutely. In a recent Bleeding Cool interview, you had mentioned, you know, things are great now. Things are popping. But in two years, you never know what could happen. The game could be different. In this last year and a half, there has been a clear renaissance in spawn collecting. And I specifically want to point out between the years of 2011 and 2015, during some of spawns lowest distribution right yep. now have become some of the most sought out after scarce you're hard collective. to get. Um, right. Yeah. You can't find them. I know what the print run on some of those were. Some of those were anemic. And so if, if now some, somebody's saying, Hey, what are the short runs on spawn? There's this, yeah, there was a there was a window there where, woo, dude. I mean, those those are hard to I would assume are hard to find because those that have them already have it. The the stores weren't buying extra copies, and people who put it in a twenty five cent bin those got gobbled up. They're probably not hanging around plentiful like maybe an issue number eight would be. Right. I, I feel like maybe like during those times, there probably have, had to have been some some challenges, some things you're trying to overcome. And now in retrospect, there is such a a good view in the market from this particular era. What went on during that time? What were things that you were trying to overcome? I think one of the things that was happening was I had a run from issue 200 to 250 that I'm quite proud of. And there was one artist for 50 issues on it. 
His name was uh, Shimon Kudransky. And his style was very almost photorealistic, very moody. I thought it was cool. I was writing stories to the strength of that. But it meant to, that I had to do this really sort of down-to-earth, grounded story because everything looked so real. The fan base had been, I guess, raised on, like, spawned to them as, you know, Todd and Greg Capullo and, and you know, and, and big macho stuff. And so I, I didn't really give him the opportunity to shine and do some of the things. So I ran into it a little bit with uh, Jason Sean Alexander. He's got this really cool, gritty, you know, almost horror look. And he's a magnificent artist. But I don't think people started paying attention to him. So I started putting in Overkill or The Clown or some characters that they recognize. And then he got to do his version of sort of the rogues gallery. And then it was like, oh my God, that Jason's a good, a good artist. When he was just doing a story about like just the 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 dark side of human nature, although it was brilliant, they're like, where's the blow up? We need the blow, we need the ray guns. And so uh I, you know, probably it's not a it's not an accident that sales have also gone up at the same time that I've been doing a little bit more superhero kind of storytelling in it. Since we're on that subject um, of, of realism, I can't help but bring up a, a new artist that you have on your roster. Um, his name is Bajorn Berenz. This yeah. gentleman does some yeah. incredible art. I've only seen a handful, but I saw issue 317 get solicited, jaw dropped. But then this morning, getting an email from Image about 315 and some variants that he's a part of. I, I got to know, like, what goes into the quest of finding talent for your flagship titles? A little bit of dumb luck and seeing if people are interested. Uh, I usually find them, in all honesty, just scouring through something like ArtStation or Instagram. You no know? kidding. I'm, I just go through Instagram and then I just go, hey, this is Todd McFarlane. You'd be interested in doing a Spawn cover. I think your stuff rocks. And then they they, they either say yes or no. Uh, in in Bjorn's uh, instance, not only did he say yes, but he was looking for some steady work. And oh, by the way, the way he works, he's <laughs> it's bizarre. It, he sculpts those figures first. No then way. he puts them, then he photographs them and then he paints them. Wow. So I, I go, hey, I can give you I can give you steady work, but oh by the way, in between covers, I'm gonna need you to help me sculpt some toys, right? I've got this toy company. He's like, yeah, okay. So he so he's yeah he's on the payroll now, and he just sort of jumps back and forth between doing a cover, a toy, a cover, a toy. Uh, so he just he just sent me one yesterday. You can see some of the the variation. He's going, which one of these? You know, we talk about posing, and then after we talk about posing, then he'll basically give me four or five different camera angles because it's 3d so now he can move the he can move the angles wherever he wants right so here's one here i don't know if you're gonna even be able to see it oh yeah so so there so basically it's it's you know ninja olden the decapitated victim that's there so there's there he is there's the angle right now this is one this is the angle i chose which is which is here and then but my only comment was can you move the head? Because the head is blocking the foot, right? If you sure. put the head sort of in the empty space here, A, you'll see it more and you'll clear the foot, right? There you go. Uh, but like I said, he just he he's always just given me sort of this is a downshot of it. it. Looks cool, but anyway, it's it's 
pretty dramatic. And if not now, so I can, if everybody likes it, I can always say, hey, that sculpt, we can turn it into a toy. Awesome. That's kind of like part of the, you know, parts of the, the art, the medium that it just goes beyond the pages, you know, it's, it, it adds a whole layer of collectability to this. You know, it's exciting to know how this was put together. It's fascinating. I'm constantly, I probably got 15 covers that are sitting in a corner right now that I've just reached out to some people and just, you know, just go, Hey, I, I, I give the same speech to all of them. Some of them, you know, know what Spawn is and they're, they're fans or whatever. And some aren't, but uh, whatever, the, those that are fans, I go, look at, here's, here's, here's what I want the cover to be. If you could only do one image and the moment that you're done, a fucking bus hits you, you're dead. And that image is the only one that will exist of your statement of what Spawn is. Like it's the one you want painted on the side of a building. <laughs> Give me that cover. <laughs> so um, dark, I love it. Some of them, it's a little disappointing because I'm like, really, that was it? <laughs> like you told me you've been a fan for 20 years. Like that's the, what when you've been laying in bed going, if I could just do one, I could just do one. That was like, that was it. So sometimes I'll give them more than one cover. I go, hey, you can do another one if you want, but dude, I like you can do, come on. That's that cover doesn't scream poster, right? If I'm 15 going, oh my God, I want that poster on my wall and the ceiling. So it's the last thing I see when I go to bed, right? Give me that. And part of it is people I think are a little loyal, nervous, intimidated, maybe by like me just being in the conversation because they're like, oh my God, it's got to look like issue number one. And I remember issue number one. And it's like, I don't want an issue number one. I want something as a fan that I look at and I go, oh, I wish I could do that. Like, why didn't I think of that? Oh my God, I created the character. I've been doing it for 30 years and I hadn't thought of that. That's awesome. That's the image and the confidence I want out of them. And some some rise to the occasion. Others just need a little bit of a kick in the pants, uh, and, and they eventually get there. Seeking that kind of spice on a cover, or even thing to include in a narrative that's just going to cause a, a comic to spike and get hot. You mentioned Ninja Spawn. Um, this past March, you surprised me. Spawn collectors across the world with Gunslinger Spawn. Haven't seen them since 2008, and I'm curious. Like how much of the secondary market, because like you're, you're pleasing collectors here by doing this with what you're doing with these characters. How much of that influences creative direction? A weird thing's happening on the Spawn book right now in that I've, I've never been very good at making the covers match what's on the inside. You know, Greg and I used to just like, Greg, just do something cool, right? Cool, cool will sell at all times. Um, and part of it was I was always behind getting him the story so it was like we got to have a cover for a solicitation three months in advance what are you talking about we're not we're not that far ahead what's happening now is instead of saying hey here's a character and he's in this book i'm almost using the covers as t's that that if i put them on the cover then if they're not in that issue they will soon be coming so there could be this weird thing happening in the future if any of those characters become popular where you, there's two books that would be meaningful. There's the book that has that character on the cover for the very first time. And then there's the comic in which they appeared for the first time. And it's not going to be the same in a lot of cases, the same one, right? right. Like, like what we think of is, 
you know, Wolverine's first appearance in the Hulk, right? Sure. You go, oh, he's on the cover and he's in the book. Uh, I, to me, I'm almost doing is is a is a, a sort of a teaser of saying if you like this character and you like this look, he's he's going to be coming momentarily. So again, we got one that just came out, the one that we called the uh, the plague, and the plague well, I don't, wasn't in that book, but he he will be making an appearance here at the end of one of the upcoming issues, and then be pretty meaningful in another one. Um, and, and, and then I'll just build that character out. Who knows in five years, which of these characters get big. Going back to Gunslinger. I think Gunslinger has the potential to be my Wolverine, my Punisher. That Ooh. badass dude that doesn't give a crap about anything and just is going to do it his way and not let anything get in his way. Oh, and by the way, he's not really that super powerful his powers are way degraded from al simmons spot i'm also want these characters to eventually lose the nomenclature of the word spawn everybody will refer to him as gunslinger spawn or whatever medieval spawn whatever whatever but eventually you just call him gunslinger and that's his character right and that you go you know five ten years from now somebody is say oh yeah he's a spawn or whatever and you go oh yeah that's right i'll try you know it's just that origin was told so long ago, it's not overly relevant as we keep moving forward. And I'm, I'm, I'm trying to give each one of them their own space. So I'm not just doing eight different Ironmans. It just sort of kind of can do the exact same thing. Absolutely. Oh, how cool. McFarlane's Punisher, McFarlane's Wolverine. I'm going to look at Gunslinger Spawn completely. Oh. I'm actually, I'm not going to call him Spawn. Gunslinger, or until we have a better I, name for I, it. I, right. I, 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 I either refer to him just a Gunslinger when I'm giving a plot to somebody. I just put okay. GX. Right. I, I, will, I will keep that going. He's Gunslinger. The second half of the year, we're going to expand our publishing. He's going to play a big part in it. You mentioned doing teasers and 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 planning the reveal of that character you, you mentioned wolverine and hulk 181 on the cover and making his first appearance on the inside um some collectors think venom's first appearance is in 299 you know what's your opinion on whether a character appears should be considered a first full or not well well it's interesting uh and i'm going to age myself a little bit um because you seem like you're way younger than me um in the in the price guide books and in Wizard, matter of fact, mm -hmm. if you even look at probably that one that you have behind probably you, there. at the beginning, they used to put 298, 299, I forget which one it was, maybe it was both, where I did a couple panels mm -hmm. of them. And they used to actually mark those as the first appearance. And then it was years later where they actually decided to edit that and change it that his first appearance, first full appearance, is issue 300. We're talking Venom. And those other issues prior were cameos. I think they they that's what they titled them. It would be a little frustrating if I was a collector because I was buying what I thought was the first appearance and you were valuing it as such for years. And then you decided to change it, right? And because I remember there was a time where, I mean, I was working at Image and I was like, wow, Spider-Man 300. Why, like, seems like that book keeps going up. And I understand that, you know, has something to do with my beginning of my career and it's an anniversary book, but it, but that was true the whole time. So what was it that was given the extra kick? And, and then somebody said, oh, Todd, they, they changed it. 
that's now considered Venom's first appearance. And I'm going, oh, okay. Well, that that meant that now that makes sense. I guess it depends what price guide book you look at. I mean, CGC I think follows those norms. So if you have a label that says first appearance, you take it as gospel and that's it, right? So don't you can't fight the system sometimes. I was introduced to collecting comics at a really young age. Um Actually, I grew up in the back of a comic book store with my dad who ran one, you know, when I was really oh, little. Cool. Um, so um, in growing up, I got into collecting comics and I had told my dad I wanted to start buying key books. And, you know, as a teenager, whatever, whatever that means. And what he told me was because he, he knew I liked Spider-Man and Venom. He said, oh, you got to start with the trifecta. And I didn't know what that meant. But of course, I would learn very quickly that it's that 298, 299, and 300. As collectors, we put this like on a pedestal for good reason. And I'm, I'm curious, I know you've told the story a bunch, but could you walk me through a little bit of like that transition through those issues and how you came on the scene, shook up the bullpen, and created one of the best anti-heroes ever? It's interesting because when you're doing it, you don't know you're shaking it up. This is a thing that's weird. Like time gives you... A, a, a different perspective, right? When we started Image Comic Books, we didn't know the impact it was going to have 20, 30 years later, and and all. We just wanted to do something that would that meant something for us at that moment, right? We knew in that case we were being a little disruptive, but not to the extent that we will go down in history. For me, the what was happening on Spider-Man was very simplistic. I was getting fast. I was able to draw two books a month. I was doing Hulk at that point. I was looking for another book. The Spider-Man office, uh, Jim Shalikrup was the editor. Those, they, he was having a little bit of tough time keeping people on some of the books. And the sales were lagging a little bit. And I had been warded off by the other editors. Hey, if you can pick up another book, you don't really want to go and do Spider-Man right now. It's a bit of a mess. So I, I'm, I'm just wired. <laughs> I'm just wired for that kind of... Don't tell me what to do. Um, and I went in there. And like I said, and, and I've said before, which sort of leads us to Venom, Spider-Man was in that black costume at that point, right? And that was a carryover from uh, Secret Wars, right? This big sort of event book that was sort of the beginning of event books right. to some, some extent. I thought, man, be cool to draw Spider-Man. Because when you're a comic book artist, all you want to do is draw like these popular characters. It's cool. Because then... When you tell people, then if they've heard the character, then all of a sudden you're legit, right? If I told people I was drawing Coyote and Infinity Inc., they look at me sort of sideways like my dog. You know how people they turn dog turns his head? Absolutely. Infinity. Oh, what's that? So, you know, when I when really when I was doing Hulk, because when all of a sudden people, especially in my immediate family, went, Oh my God, he's not a loser artist anymore, right? Uh so I go, oh, I could do Spider-Man, but he was in a costume that meant nothing to me. It meant mm. nothing to me. Uh, they're like, no, 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 no. Come on, come on. When we're kids, no, Spider-Man's red and blue, red and blue, red and blue. And so they wanted me to come on to the book. But I, 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 I go, come on. We'll put him in the red and blue. I'll come, let's do it. So Jim Shooter was around at that time. Jim Shooter had something to do with Secret Wars. Jim Shooter had an affinity for the black costume and didn't want to just blow it off like I was. I, you know, I wasn't paying attention to all that stuff. I was just being like, it's not cool, man. Uh, so I was simplistic. Come on. I was in my early 20s at that point. And the conversation was, what if we wait till issue 300? 
we'll make it a big story that he gets his costume back. Uh, and then, and then, but we got to do something. He wants to, Jim Shooter wants to keep the black costume around. Tom DeFalco was coming around at that point. David Michelinie was the writer, and and from that came Venom, right? It's because it was like, okay, David comes up with a way to basically use the costume another way. They needed a visual. I I create the the visual, and it, I've told people that issue three hundred isn't the first appearance of Venom to me. Issue 300 is, how do we get that damn black costume off Peter Parker issue? That's all it is to me. I, I, Tom, if you look at issue 300, for me personally, and I have total recall of this, the, the last page in that book, when he puts on the red and blue and he jumps out, and I think it even says a new beginning or something, was the first time in three months I felt like I was drawing Spider-Man. And, wow. and given that I've sold hundreds and hundreds of my Spider-Man pages, I don't really have much. I do have that page, that page where he jumps out that, because to me, I must've kept it. It must've had some sentimental value because it was like, this is Spider-Man for the first time. I'm going to keep my first Spider-Man, right? Uh, and everything else was like, eh. uh, that was it. And, and so you get happy accidents, which is sort of, what venom is is a, is a complete and happy accident. I I sometimes wonder. A normal human being, who's not named Todd, crazy man. Twenty five years old. Somebody said you're going to draw Spider Man, uh, but we got him in a black costume. I think ninety nine point nine percent people go yes sir, yes sir, and you do it, right? And then there's potentially no venom. There's no venom. And then there's no venom. There's no symbiotes. There's no carnage. There's no everything that begats from what David Michelinie, you know, starts and I, and I design like none of that, none of that happens. And it comes out of some immature kid being stubborn and being probably stupid uh, to tell his boss, no, I'm not drawing Spider-Man unless I get my way. Uh, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense, but it shows you what can happen if you shake the cage from time to time, which is why I'm, I'm a big advocate of not having status quo. I don't think anybody should draw a Spider-Man that looks like mine. I think they should all come up with better ways to do it. And instead, they wanted me to draw like John Romita Jr. And now the new kids are, sort of are, have this influence of the McFarland Spider-Man still, especially with the webbing and the posing. And it's like, no, let them... Let them come up with something even cooler. Who knows what that will be? But from there, I just got crazier with Spider-Man. Let me let me tell you. I just was like, oh, oh. He's a, to me, he was like a bug man. And I go, oh, and I do the, and then, you know, the webs just became radical. I just was like, I'm putting them everywhere. It's going to be cool to draw them. And it's going to run around like a cowboy. And I was having so much fun. And then eventually, I guess, upper management started looking <laughs> And they were like, what the hell? Whoa, whoa, whoa. What's going on down in the Spidey office? Like, whoa, dude, bring, we got to have a conversation here. And, and, but luckily sales were going up as, and, and eventually sort of kind of worked out somewhat. Although eventually all of those finger wagon conversations that they were giving me as sales were going up, I eventually just got tired of it and it, 
sort of was my reason for joining, you know, this band that became Image Comics. Another example of something unpredictable, but, you know, sort of something grateful that that path played out the way it did. You know, you never know. And Image Comic Books, essentially, is just all of us going, just want to do comic books the way we want to do comic books, man. That was it. Wasn't wasn't there was nothing deeper or more meaningful than that. We didn't say, hey, we're going to create a safe haven for creators and become this out like, no, no, no. It was just like, just want to do comic books the way we want to draw them. We, you know, like I'm getting tired of, of them making us redraw and refix and redo stuff. So that was that was it. And and it turned into something again, another happy accident. <laughs> What was I'm I'm curious during those conversations when um, Image was first being um, you know rolled out and you were creating this new new publishing company. What inspired that name? I, I don't think I ever uh, I've heard that. The name uh, I believe came from uh, Rob Liefeld. Oh no, kidding! Uh, Rob Rob was there at the very beginning. Matter of fact, Rob and 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 Jim Valentino and uh, Eric Larson were sort of the impetus of beginning the group. And I tagged on, and then we ended up grabbing a couple people on D Day when we in new york when when we said we were going to quit you know we grabbed jim lee and wills protasio and and, and uh, mark silvestri literally minutes before we were making the announcement i think the way rob tells it is there was a commercial like a camera commercial that had the uh, andre agassi in it tennis player okay. and and the punchline at the end of it was of that commercial was he says he you know taking pictures and at the end he says something like image is everything Image is everything. EOS Rebel S from Canon. Right? And so Rob just liked the word. And so he was like, hey, I've got a great suggestion. How about Image Comics? So Image is everything. So that was it. Boom. We were, we were gone. Amazing. I always wonder if there was any other names that were being kicked around the, the bullpen. The no, I, it's interesting because people think, you know, image or even the name or venom like that. There's some master plan that we're actually smarter. We, we get way more kudos for being sort of like we're brilliant. We're not, we're just, sometimes you, you trip and sometimes you fall on crap and other times you, you fall on nice soft pillows. Right. So, right. And, 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 and neither one of it is yours, but you know, so for instance, uh, I got a character called violator, right? Of course. I, I remember exactly when I got that name, my, my wife, I, I dropped her off a curb. She was going to get a bottle of wine for the evening. Some friends were coming over and I go here, I'll just, I'll just sit here. I'll wait. And as I was waiting, cause I was on the side of the building, there's this sign and it said, tollway zone, no trespassing. Violators will be prosecuted. <laughs> and I went violators. Well, that's a cool word, oh man. Goodness. I'm gonna do it. We're gonna do. It. I'm gonna. I'm, I'm, and that was where it came from. And then, and then, fast forward like 20 plus years, I'm doing a book with Eric Larson. Near the end, we didn't quite quite see eye to eye, but that's okay. You know, I I love him to death. But he wrote me this letter and said all the reasons why he <laughs> I wasn't being nice. Uh, and very end of it, he said, and just to let you know, it's soul crushing. And, and to me, all I got out of that letter was blah, 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 soul crusher. And so I created a character called the soul crusher after that. I just went, oh, my God, cool name, Eric. I know you're mad at me. Cool name, Eric. So who knows? Who knows where they come from, right? You just you grab them, you grab them and you run. Some of the Spider-Man, like, I think starting with issue 306 or something like that, I put a hidden spider on the covers. 
So this is a thing that a lot of people don't know. I, I mean, I just did it. I would put a hidden spider on the cover. And if there's no number underneath my name, that means there's one hidden spider. If there's a number, because people go, why is it say McFarland three? That's because there's three spiders that oh are hidden goodness. on that cover. During that run, I forget when I actually started it. I should probably know better. People who have that run will go, so go back. You can have a little bit of fun. It was also during that run where I forget what issue it is, where I put the scroll around my name for the very first time. That wasn't always there either. The signature was always the same, but I didn't meaningfully put, you know, the little scroll that became sort of part of the trademark. I couldn't put my name in a place where I didn't think it was going to get lost. So I said, hey, I'm going to have to put it in a box. Uh, and so I put I put it in the scroll and then I just sort of thought it looked kind of cool. I don't even think I did it consistently the next issue or whatever, but then I went, no, I start putting it in the scroll. And then it, I've been doing it sort of ever since. Issue seven of Spawn up until recently was the only issue of any comic book I'd done a cover for where I, where I didn't put my name on it. For some reason, I don't know why issue seven, I forgot to sign the cover. Dope. So sometimes people will bring that to me in a convention. I'll sign it. And I go, there, you finally have my name on the cover because I never put my name on it. And then I just did it recently with the, what we call the Skyline cover, you know, with all the names on mm -hmm. it and Spawn and the Cityscape. And I didn't put my name on it because I was doing an homage to Mark Martin's work and he didn't put his name on it. So I go, okay, well, I'm going to, I'm going to do what he did, which is not put his name on it. Right. It was fun. It was funny because a couple of people, some, some Marvel people even said, Todd, how dare you take Mark Martin's cover and homage it and don't pay tribute to him. No, I did on the inside. I gave him a nice big plug, but I, I was trying to be so loyal to what he was doing, pay such close homage to it that I go, well, if he didn't sign it, I'm not going to be arrogant enough to sign it either. It was the first time in my entire career that I willingly didn't put my name on it. Right. So I remember talking to somebody from Marvel that was like, again, wagging a finger and go, how dare you? And I go, oh, no, 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 no. No, here's why I didn't put my name on that cover. Because Mark Martin did. It, and I was trying to be an homage to it. But, but let, let's go away from that. Mark Martin doesn't have his name on the cover because Marvel didn't put his name on the cover. So now you're going to yell at me, Marvel, for not doing what you yourself did? Wow. That's, that's, that's pretty awesome. It's like, you may, you may want to pay a little closer attention to what you guys are doing, right? So the question isn't, why didn't Todd in his homage cover put Martin's name on it? The bigger question is, why didn't Marvel put M Martin's name on their actual Marvel book, right? I'd like to know why that hap didn't happen. My goodness. I love it. I love all these other insights to comics that we collect, you know, it's, it's more history on it. And that's Spawn 7. It's an affordable issue, but it is a minor key. And it's a great reason to send down to you to get signed or whenever convention season comes back up. You know, it's a really cool collectible. We'd love to just chat with you about a couple of my favorite covers you've done. See if there's any any story or if you reflect on these in, in any way different than maybe when you made them. We've chatted about Wolverine a bunch. We've chatted about Hulk a bunch of course incredible hulk 340 is one of my all-time favorite covers that oh, reflection yeah. in the adamantium is legendary at one point they did something years ago where they did a voting on best covers of all time and there were a couple covers i was pretty proud of i thought would be in the top 100 
I thought that would be one of them. Sure. And, and then it kept getting to thirties and the twenties. I'm like, Oh, darn it. Well, okay. I go, ah, maybe it was like 110. It was okay. And end up being number one. There and I'm go. like, like, well, it's good. I wouldn't consider it to be great. Uh, but okay, cool. Like it, it blew my mind. I go that that's, they think that's the best cover. Like, wow. Okay, cool. So, you know, it's, it's interesting, Tom, there are now a couple of covers I've done that people keep imitating, right? Sure. Issue 300, for sure, right? Of Amazing Spider-Man. I do it myself. You know, Spider-Man number one, where he's in the crouch with all the webs. And then and then that that Wolverine cover, right? There's Those three seem to pop up sort of on a regular basis of people riffing on those, which is kind of cool. What about Batman 423? This is definitely, yeah. as for, for Batman collectors, everyone's got to have it. Um, we all know the image, and I think it has to do with the embracing and the and the cape and the bats, the vibrance of the colors. But, but what were you channeling when you were drawing the Dark Knight back then? Deadline. Yeah, just Deadline. That's yeah. pure Deadline. Yeah, deadline. So, so they came and they said, "Hey, Todd." I, and 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 I remember when I left, uh, and I go, "Hey, I'd like to do some Batman if I could. It'd be cool, Batman." Uh, which is why they came back to me a little bit later and said, "Hey, you want to do Batman Year Two and finish that arc?" They needed it fast. Wow. And and to me, you know, you can see in that image, I'm a big cape fanatic, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like it's been around for a while. So I just went, I want to make him just look super cool, a big giant cape. I want to make it all black. So I don't put a lot of detail. I don't have to do any anatomy. Uh, he'll be embracing this young lady because it's like he's saving the day, like the hero, but she'll be wrapped in the cover. So I don't have to draw any of her anatomy, right? I mean sadly i wish i could say no 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 i'm gonna do this inspiration no 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 it was like how can i get this and get it out the door because i need it tomorrow uh make it black don't draw any anatomy bam done and then people go todd you're a genius you're a genius look at the design and the composition Sometimes it's just how can you make it look as good as you can, given that you have a limited amount of time. And in comic book, especially when you're doing uh, monthlies, how do you just get through your book every month? You have to find shortcuts that the readers aren't aware of. So God bless you guys for loving that cover because it's probably one of the easiest ones I ever did. I love it. Um, last but not least, ASM 316, first Venom on the cover. Yeah. I remembered this issue during the reveal of Topher Grace put on that symbiote costume and watching him not grow. And I think of that cover because I think it's a perfect depiction of how I believe you meant Venom to be, this Hulk mammoth of a, of a character, a brute. What about that cover? It's weird because I don't know if, I don't have any recollection that when I was doing it, I was aware that it was Venom's first cover. No kidding. Right? It becomes this key issue now, right? Yeah. We're, we're only a year and a half since we sort of invented this character, Dave and I. And it wasn't like he was in an all 16 issues, right? He was in and then he went away. So now I think he's coming back, right? Mm-hmm. And so we started getting a feeling that like, hey, maybe this character has a little bit a little bit of something behind him. We obviously, we didn't know he was going to be the phenomenon he is today. But it, it was exactly what you just said. The design of Venom was always to create a character that was so much bigger than him physically that I felt then that the, the writers would need to force Spider-Man to come up with another way to defeat him. Sure. You couldn't just put the webs on him and punch him in the face 
and he'd fall over. And so to me, it's, uh, it's like if I said, hey, Tom, there's, I need you to accomplish two things. I need you to take my brother and I need you to, 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 to deck him and put him on the floor. Okay, you'd figure that out. And if you got a good right hook, you'd probably do it pretty quick. Okay, your second mission is I've got this thing that's called a rhinoceros. I need you to put that on the floor. You're going to have to come up with another strategy to get the rhinoceros over. I want it to convey as much as possible that like this is this is a big thing and it's not going to be easy to defeat. And the bad guys should be pretty imposing, I think. The best best bad guys, I don't know. I mean, hopefully you feel the same way I am. I remember when I was reading, you know, Avengers and Fantastic Four. You know, if this if the, you know, the B, even the A minus villain was there, it was cool, cool, cool. But then all of a sudden the Fantastic Four is like Doc Dune came. I went, <gasps> this is going to be a multi-parter. This, this isn't a one issue. This isn't a one issue one, right? And then sometimes it turned into three or whatever. And you're going, because Doc, you knew Dr. Doom had a bigger plan. It was going to be way more complicated. Uh, and when Ultron came or, when when the Red Skull came or when Magneto came for the X-Men, you went, boo, he's way more imposing than the Toad, right? Right. Of course. <laughs> what are you talking about? So I, I, I was hoping Venom would be that guy. Now, I had nothing to do with making Venom a quasi good guy, right? Wouldn't have been my choice. I would have kept that guy a villain the whole time. No kidding. Oh, sure. You need your Doc Doom. You need your, your Jokers. You need your, your Lex Luthor. You, you know, the, you're only as good as the bad guy. And so here was here was a bad guy that was garnering attention like some of the classics. And that wasn't happening. I mean, you think about like who are the classic characters post 1980, arguably post 1970, right? Who are the who are the heroes that have gone on to bigger and better? And then who are the supervillains, even less, gone on to bigger and better? So when you get one, you don't, you don't, you don't mess with to me i'm like what venom's now starting to be in the same league as those other guys he's an a plus guy like you don't just convert him to a good guy now because like those guys aren't easy to replicate but you know then they go on oh, we got carnage so we can replace him with him i guess must have been an interesting day to see the title lethal protector <laughs> for the first time right <laughs> yeah yeah you know it's like i said but you know again they they they've done quite well with it right. going in the direction uh, so it was obviously I, I, I missed that one. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I haven't turned the clown or violator into a good guy in 300 issues. So well done. I love it. And I'm not, and I'm not going to renumber it. Never have, never will. And here, here's why I'm old. I'm completely old school. I used to buy the price guides. You got one right behind you there. Uh, but, but even the overstreet price guide. And I remember when I, when I, when I broke into comic books and, I used to I used to look at them, and and what I didn't like is that I used to have to jump around. Yeah, there you go. I didn't have to jump around. So now, if you want to know what a spawn issue is worth, go to SP, and you'll find it right right next to Spider Man. You'll 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 find it, and every issue for twenty eight years, and it's a silly thing for me, just a personal thing, is sitting in that one column, right? I don't even know, in all honesty, Tom, I don't even know how to glue a chronological run of the Fantastic Four together. 
I don't even know how you, I don't even know how, like, because it started and stopped so many times. Which number one is the one before? I don't know. It, it, it makes my head hurt. And oh, by the way, the excuse they give, which is, well, it's too intimidating for people because the number's too high. I, I was the complete opposite. When I was collecting, the higher the number, the more prestigious it was in my mind. Because to me, it's like a battleship that has weathered the war through good and bad and decades. And no matter what's happening in the economy, that book is still coming out. Wow. Issue four, big deal. That just happened like four months ago. I've, I've also, I've never done it and I should. I've been threatening. I've been threatening to take my Spawn comic book and have two numbers on it. The regular number and then the number one. <laughs> uh, and so it's like they're going, no, you need a number one. So I go, so so same character, same writer, same artist, same color, same letterer. The inside, the, everything exactly the same. The difference is you're saying that the reason that book will sell or won't sell is because of a fucking number, not because of the work, not because of the quality of the book, because of a number. If that's all it takes, for those of you that need that, there's a number one in the corner over there. For those of you that have been buying this for 30 years, there's number 316. Oh, next issue, 317, number one. 318, <laughs> number one. Up to number one on every issue if that's all it takes. But come on, guys, it's got to be more than that. Show me the book that has restarted its book, renumbered it as a number one multiple times, and it is selling more books today than it did 25 years ago. It doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. So what you do has the graph is going down to sales in the 90s and the two and 2000s. As it's going down, you get this blip. So it goes down and then oh, number one, and then down and then oh, let's do another one, number one and down. There's only one question: Are you selling more units today of that title than you were? 25 years ago. And if the answer is no, then I don't care how sexy those number ones are. They're fleeting. They're momentary moments. They don't have any impact. Mm -hmm. So go ahead. To me, it's money. It's a money grab then at that point that you just go, oh my gosh. So I just, I won't do it. My book's going to say $2.99 and I'm just going to keep that numbering. And if that is bothersome to somebody, then there's plenty of other options. Nice to hear that you're going to be sticking to your guns on that. Last thing, a little different of a question, but I, 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 I've heard you touch on it very quickly. I'm hoping you can expand. You've won a Grammy in music. I don't know if you like play accordion or something, but I'm curious, are you friends with Eddie Vedder? And do you have any gripes with Madonna still? Me having a Grammy is actually should be inspirational to people. My wife teaches a class. She's a professor at, at, at the ASU. Um, in trying to convert your passions into potential jobs. But one of the things that we think of is that we have to go in a straight line. And what we don't give ourselves a luxury of, especially when you're young, is you just at times trip into stuff. I mean, we've already talked about how we tripped into characters and how we tripped into image comic books being historical and whatever else. Here's how you get a Grammy in which, let me, let me go on record as saying, I don't play any instruments, never have, don't even know how to read music. So, so let me just preface that. Okay, now the question should be, well, how do you get a Grammy then, right? That's a pretty prestigious award. Okay, well, let me walk you through as fast as I can. I do a comic book uh, and I'm working for Marvel. 
And then I say, no, I'm going to go break it on my own. I want to do my own stuff. And we started a new comic company called Image. And then you got Spawn. And I go, yeah, I'm rocking and rolling with Spawn. And then the sales are big on Spawn. HBO eventually comes in and says, hey, we'd like to do animation. I ask them one question. Can I say fuck? They said, yes. I signed the contract. We start doing it. Oh, by the way, you have to put me in charge of the show, even though I have 0% experience in animation. So again, zero music experience, zero animation. All of a sudden, I'm an animation director, right? Okay, you just leverage yourself. Spawn comes out, wins a couple of Emmys. All of a sudden, you're an Emmy winner. Woo! Who would have thought on animation? I'm just a comic geek. And then you get the phone call. Eddie Vedder is on the phone and he's saying, hey, Todd, Eddie Vedder from Pearl Jam. Hey, I've been watching this show, Spawn, and, and, our, and, our, and our record label has been bugging us to do another music video. We don't want to. We think they're silly. But I finally came up with an idea, a way we can do it. Let's animate it and we don't have to be in our own video, which is interesting because most bands want to be in their video. They were like trying to figure out how not to be in their video. We did do the evolution. Do the evolution comes out. Uh, it goes, it, all of a sudden somebody says, hey, Todd, I got nominated for a Grammy. Wow, that was easy. First music video I'm involved in goes for a Grammy. Woo, cool. Uh, first animation I'm involved in goes for Emmys. Woo, right? And I, you, you, you start making it look like it's way easier. than <laughs> I haven't replicated either one of those since. We, we go to the Grammy Awards and obviously we're one of the finalists. And yeah, Madonna beats us. Noonan. Noonan. So you go, okay, never going to happen again. We end up doing another music video, this one for corn, half, you know, real humans, and then half animation. That one gets nominated for a Grammy. Now we're two for two. I'm like, wow, this is easy. Just got to do a music video. You get nominated for Grammy. We won that one. So we didn't win the one for the Pearl Jam. We won it for the corn, right? But again, it all just sort of begats one after the other. So when we're editing the Do the Evolution video, Eddie Vedder, at least at that point, had editing machines at his house. I guess just what rock and rollers do. They edit stuff. Because um, I remember, he goes, Todd, we got this song. It's called Do the Evolution. It's about all time, space, and dimension. And I want to plug it into three minutes. And I'm like, okay, seems like a easy task. He goes, I'm just going to give you a little bit of a feel, a vibe. So he took two or three episodes of Spawn and edited them to his music. And it was super cool. I wish I had a copy of it. Oh, wow. And I was like, oh, Eddie, this is pretty good. Who did that? He goes, I did. And I go, what do you mean? He said, he goes, yeah, I've got an editing machine at home. I go, so you just, you just went to board <laughs> like edit stuff. Like, okay, I, 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 I would have had a different image of what you did in your spare time. But so now we're doing the do the evolution video and we're actually editing the official video. Eddie says, hey, Todd, you mind if I come down and help you in the editing bit? Yeah, sure. Come on down. You're, you know, so he comes down and it took us probably three, four days to get it right where we want it. But every day Eddie would come in and he brought this little suitcase, this little, this little briefcase with him and he plunk it down. And then we go. And I, I, rem and, and I remember at the first day he picked it up and he left. And I went, oh, must be going to another meeting or something. I don't know. Next day, here comes Eddie. Got his little briefcase. Chicka, 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 chicka. Lays it on. Goes, doesn't do nothing, leaves, leaves. Day three, comes with that same damn suitcase. And finally at lunch, I said, hey, Eddie, 
you know, I don't mean to be personal, but like you keep coming with that suitcase. Like, why you keep bringing that suitcase? You're not, not like, you know, you're pulling anything out of it. And he's like, oh, my God, Todd. Oh, I'm glad you finally asked. Right. I'm like, what? He goes, I didn't think you were going to ever ask. And so he walks over to it. He opens it up. And <laughs> I kid you not. Inside the, the briefcase, two baseball gloves and a baseball. And one of the gloves is left-handed. He knew I was a baseball player. Eddie's a big, big baseball nut himself. And he was like, I was wondering if you wanted to play catch, right? <laughs> so I, so I'm, and, and to this day, I'm going, so if I had never asked him what was in the, he was just going to walk away and never say, Todd, you want to play catch? So I'm like, yeah, sure, Eddie, let's go. You even got a lefty. I knew you were a lefty. I go, okay, cool. Now, it's also a heat wave in LA at this time. It was it was unseasonably hot, like 105, 110. I'm from Phoenix. I'm like a cockroach. Not, not a big deal to me. But Eddie Vedder comes from Seattle. A lot, lot, a lot of, lot of rain, a lot of cloud cover. He's dressed in his black shirt and his black pants, his black boots. He's got his big belt. He's looking good. And he's got a cigarette because he smokes. And he's got his glove and he catch, boom. Take a puff, catch, boom. About 15, 20 catches into it, I think he's going to have a fucking heart attack. He is like, <laughs> it's 110. It's 110. Sweating. And he's dressed in black. Oh my it's like, this isn't like, you're not dressed for this weather and, and you're not living in Phoenix. You're not a cockroach like me. And by the way, you got your smoking on top of it, dude. And it was like, and then finally I had to just go, Eddie, you want to go get a drink? You want to take a break? He's like, okay, 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 fine, Todd, thanks. If I hadn't have been generous, would he have just gone till he just died? I don't know. Like, you know, dudes, dudes are stupid. We're stupid. <laughs> We're like, I'm not going to quit if you're not going to quit. I'm not hot if you're not hot, right? So you were, we would have just gone till he passed out. Who's, who knows? So He must have been fanboying. He wanted to play catch with, with the great Todd McFarlane. I appreciate you, Todd. Thank you so much for your time today. Um, I, I think the, the community is going to dig all the stuff we chatted about. And I just wanted to thank you. Your legacy is inspirational, and it's just starting. And I'm so excited to watch where you take this community. Well, here, Tom, Tom, you know, here's the thing about People say a lot of kind things about me and some of the people I, I grew up with that are in our industry. You're not really aware of what you're doing. You're just living your life, right? I mean, like you, you start your career and if all of a sudden somebody gives you another break, another break, and next thing you know, you're doing your show on ABC and you become the next Larry King, then everybody's like, oh my God, oh my God. But you're just, today is just today. Right. And then what ends up happening is you put enough todays together and all of a sudden they turn into years and years turn into decades. Right. And, and, and longevity will give you some prestige, if you will. Um, but I only say that in that people stop themselves from starting that today. And for somebody listening, they don't even know it. They're going to talk themselves out of it. This could have been the first today on that path, that marathon that it ends up being that you just go, well, I guess I've been doing it for 30 years now. You're not, you're not thinking about it, right? I'm, I'm not thinking about what I've done for 30 years. I'm thinking about what I can do with Spawn in the next year, right? I'm, or 30 years in the other direction. But people, 
people sort of talk themselves out of that, that they can't do it. And it's like, you think for one second that I thought some dumb, hick, mildly talented Canadian kid was, was going to lead the life that I live under no circumstances. Right. But I just, I just hustled, like you said at the very beginning, I just hustled. And what, what frustrates me is like, is trying to get that into others and go, come on, I am no better, no more skilled than a 10,000 other people. Why don't you want to at least attempt it? Because it's a good life. If it works, it's a good life. So, but, it, but you're never going to get there if you never attempt it, right? What's the worst that happens? You fail and go back to the thing you've been doing for the last 20 years. It's like a haircut. It's like a haircut, right? right? Oh, I changed it. I don't like it. It'll grow back. You can always go back. But, but, but like, don't talk yourself out of the first step because you're never going to get to the second or the third or the fifth. Look, I don't drink alcohol, but I used to go to the parties and I used to go, no, no, I don't drink. And eventually all the kids accepted it, right? And they were like, oh, Todd, as a matter of fact, I would come sometimes I, I, I give my share to people. So I became a value. Todd doesn't drink. We get his, we, Todd, I want yours. And so as soon as I walk in the door, I was like value. Everybody was clinging going, Todd, I want yours. Um, okay, fine. My son, I remember asking me one time with my daughter, going, dad, wasn't it difficult to say no to, to drinking with around your peers? And the answer is, yeah. But here's what I can tell you. Every time I said it thereafter, it got easier. Yeah. This is the same with starting a career. The most difficult time is going to be at the beginning. And then you're going to get into a groove and you're going to look at you. Look at you. You're doing a great job. Look at how relaxed you are. I'm sure you weren't nearly that relaxed first time you did it. Right now, look at you. You're a big shot. So I encourage everybody to knock my ass off stage, take my place, because I will be cheerleading you from a distance. Thanking people like you, uh, Tom, that are keeping our community thriving during these difficult times. It's awesome. It's awesome, right? We get to communicate and talk about things that we all have a common bond for. So, you know, so you're doing a hell of a job yourself. So it's not, it's not us, the creators. It's everybody, right? It's everybody. Todd, thank you so much for the kind words. Thanks for joining me and the comic fam on the mic today. I appreciate you, man. Just one last warning for everybody out there. Make sure at all times, it's not a 23-hour job. It's a 24-hour job. Keep responsibly. 